0: Welcome to Rich Conversations. Today, we'll chat with Jason Knespel. We talked about the coronavirus situation, especially here in Chicago, and he discussed his experience during this strange and unique time. I also had him reflect a little deeper on life by asking him some personal questions during the back half of our conversation. I've really enjoyed the thoughtfulness and the depth to our conversation. I'm grateful to share it with you guys. So why don't we begin? All right. So we have Jason here. Jason, how are you doing during this coronavirus situation? Um, I mean, I can't,
1: you know, all, all things considered, I can't complain too much. I'm definitely, you know, in a better position than a lot of people. You know, it's, it's easy to complain about having to be, um, you know, kind of locked in. But, you know, I think compared to what a lot of people are going through out there that may not, you know, have you know, a home to kind of to to, to to quarantine themselves in or even, you know, be in a job that would allow for work from home. Um, you know, I think I'm in a pretty, you know, I'm, I've been doing pretty well. Uh, and I think I've also been kind of preoccupied. I've been moving throughout this entire quarantine. So like the last three weeks okay. have been definitely been a distraction. I've definitely been outside my home probably then, uh, you know, Lori Lightfoot would, would prefer, um, you know, given all the, <laughs> the emergency texts we seem to get from her.
0: <laughs> Did you, I, I get um, those texts, uh, she's been a little quiet on the texts recently though, I feel like.
1: Yeah. The last few days have been better. Uh, <laughs> there was like, I mean, there was a 24 hour period where I felt like we got three emergency texts. I don't know if it was from her or the state. I think there was a combination, but I got the one about basically shutting down the lake, lake front. Yeah. Um, which it clearly was a big deal. Uh, I got the one. Then I think it was this one was from the state, but about the need for healthcare workers. Which I can definitely. Yeah. I mean, it sounds like I imagine that they're probably getting hit pretty hard, or anticipating getting hit pretty hard, both from just general capacity in a normal situation, and then also a lot. Of, I'm sure a lot of healthcare workers, you know, they're kind of out there on the front lines, being impacted the most by the virus in terms of even just catching it. Yeah. Um. But, yeah, no, there's uh, – I had some movers helping me out last weekend and they were joking. They, like, half expect to see Lori Lightfoot driving up and down, you know, Clark Street <laughs> yelling at people to get inside. <laughs> Which, you know, generally I, I support her. I agree with her. Yeah. Uh, but I think – I don't know. It's It's been interesting having been out and about more than probably the average person during the quarantine. I, there's definitely been more people – out than I would in, in, that I would have expected um and I think honestly ch- shutting down the lakefront like while I I'm sure that a lot of thought went into it it seems like it's kind of like funneled more runners onto the sidewalks which yeah. makes social distancing impossible um, and I'm a runner myself so like I'm not you know I I'm going to criticize runners but like I feel like that's that's more dangerous because they're kind of they're breathing heavily. They're probably spitting. You know, like I feel like it's almost kind of had a, a backlash effect with how many runners are out there now. Um, I don't, although I do see a lot of them kind of running on the street more than, which is I think good. But it's just it's an interesting kind of dilemma.
0: So I've gone I've gone um, for a walk um, twice this week. So that which is more than what I I've been like inside this entire time, and then I'm like cautiously stepping yeah. outside. And I'm walking, I'm like, you know, looking around. And then joggers will just like go right next to me. And I'm like, guys, come on. Yeah, <laughs> do of know her. Uh, Yeah, no, it's bad.
1: But no, I mean, all things considered, considering this is probably like the biggest event of our generation um, up to this point. Uh, being called to sit on our couch as opposed to going to war, you know, like people may have been in World War II. I think is, you know, for all intents and purposes, is it could be a lot worse, um, you know, not to downplay what's happening at all. Right. But, uh, yeah, it's been very interesting, to say the least. Um, and I'm definitely now I'm kind of looking forward to the, the moves over with, planning on staying in, just in case I have exposed myself to anything, you know, being out and about more than the average person. Um, I'm kind of making a point to stay in now for the next few weeks to make sure I didn't become a carrier, don't affect anyone else if I am kind of an asymptomatic carrier.
0: Yeah. So how would you normally spend your time in Chicago? So I mean, I think
1: generally, um, obviously, I mean, if you want to kind of go in different, different areas of life, you know, I, I'm, I'm someone that, you know, even though I have the ability to work from home, I technically prefer to work in the office. Um, so I'm, you know, I'm on the bus. I'm going downtown every, every weekday morning. You know, I enjoy that aspect of, of that part of my routine. Mm-hmm. Um, in a normal situation, I, it gives me an opportunity to kind of read and to catch up on stuff um, that, I'm, that I want to actually spend time doing. Um, so that, that's one area. I, obviously, being in the office and seeing people on a regular basis, having face-to-face meetings with my client at work. You know, all of that is, is what I would normally be doing from a professional standpoint. You know, I think personally, like I'd, I'd be, you know, I was, um, I, I was training actually for a marathon uh, for the, in the two or three months leading up to March. Um, so there's a lot of, uh, you know, just running and being mm-hmm. out on the lakefront on the weekends. Um, you know, training on the treadmill in the morning before work. That's kind of gone away. I haven't kept up my running much partly because I've been busier just with the move. And I think I had always kind of planned at least like I was at least to keep keep myself in the shape I had kind of gotten to with the training. Um, I was hoping to still run as much as possible, but I kind of have changed (laughs) perspective (laughs) uh, with like kind of my own experience, just walking out and about. And if I were to run, I would definitely wear a mask um, just to, to prevent myself from spreading my germs.
0: They're saying now, though, they're saying now that uh, you should cover your mouth and your nose with whatever you can right now, right?
1: Yeah, yep, which is a complete about-turn of what they were telling us a week ago, yeah. which has been interesting. Um, I, I think I – I don't know. I, it's it's interesting because, yeah, like you – like i say even as recent as a week ago, people were saying, oh, you know, don't wear a mask. Preserve the mask for the the healthcare workers, which I totally get, and if that was the yeah. premise that they were saying it under i totally understand and i'm all about it but yeah it's definitely interesting the the switch that's kind of happened which i think it sounds like from everything i've read has to do with the fact that you can be asymptomatic for days before you yeah. even know you have it um so it makes sense
0: um, yeah i see too that uh lightfoot and the governor they're preparing um mccormick place i don't know if you've seen photos but they have um yeah. all these spots set up and Chicago, I think, is um, anticipating a pretty intense few weeks coming up. And I think, I think they're gearing yeah. up for – or preparing for the worst, you know?
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, which, I mean, I think they, it makes sense given everything we've seen out of New York. Yeah. Uh, it's pretty scary what they're going through. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, no, I mean, I think – what I would normally be doing other than that, obviously hanging out with friends at night being out and about, um, in my social life. Like, you know, I think that would be much more common, um, than it has been. So yeah, it's definitely been a change of pace for my typical, my typical routine.
0: So what's your routine Um, like now?
1: Well, it's been a pretty consistent loop of wake up, shower, you know, walk, 20 feet down the hall to my, to my desk to start working. Okay. Um, Finishing up there. And then, you know, for the last two or three weeks, it's been a lot of like last week before the move. Um, it was just getting on the 22 bus, um, taking it up Clark and, and coming over to the, the place, the condo I moved into and just basically cleaning up and kind of casually moving stuff little by little each night. Mm -hmm. Uh, and I mean, it was like, and then I would go home and literally just basically go to bed and wake up and do the same thing. It was basically, that was the cycle for a good probably yeah. 14 to 20 days. So it's been a little bit different. And honestly, I'm frankly, I'm kind of breaking the rules, the routine up to this point for the quarantine so far. Uh, so were you ever nervous about that? Like,
0: were you nervous about going on yeah. the 22? And like, were you wearing gloves? And like, what what was your situation like?
1: uh I wore I, mean, I wore gloves um I would also just basically the first thing I would do anytime I got back was wash my hands which washing I've never hands. been so neurotic yeah uh, about washing my hands um I have different neuroses like about other things but now it's definitely <laughs> <laughs> my hands are very dry because I wash them so often yeah no I was nervous but I mean frankly like it was When I was out um, at night, which was usually around like six o'clock or nine to anywhere from like either six to nine, it was pretty dead. It seemed like it was more active during the day. Like the few times I went out like during work to go quickly go to the grocery store. There were more people out then. Yeah. Uh, But it's been kind of eerily like I remember one of the initial nights like right after Pritzker announced the stay in place policy um, or shelter in place policy. Like, literally, I was the only person walking home at, like, 9, 30, 10 o'clock at night. Yeah. The only vehicles on the street were the buses, and they were completely empty. And just, yeah. I remember being struck, like, oh, man, if, like, like Pritzker would be, would feel good about this, because he finally, like, got what he wanted, as opposed to, like, the weekend before was St. Patrick's Day, and, you know, yeah. going by bars, they were just overflowing. So,
0: I mean, yeah, it was definitely
1: yeah. eerie being out and so, about at, at night.
0: What's something new that you're doing or feeling that surprised you? You mentioned the washing the hands uh, neurotically, but are there other things too?
1: Yeah, I think, I mean, the washing the hands seems like a cop-out because I think that's a lot of people. Um, I mean, if I'm being honest, you know, I I feel less bad about just kind of chilling and doing nothing than I normally would yeah you're uh, the type of person <laughs> uh, that
0: that always has to be doing something i feel like
1: yeah uh and or i feel guilty like there'd be kind of an underlying guilt that would be like that's the old neuroses it's <laughs> yeah. like if i'm just sitting there doing nothing i'm like what could i be doing yeah. like i'm wasting my time right now now we're kind of being told to do that so that feeling yeah. that lack of fomo is not really it's not exactly fomo but um, the, the fear of not doing something that could be getting you ahead and whatever other goals you should be doing, which actually, you know, that's a whole other conversation. But yeah. I feel like I've been reading about like more famous philosophers or figures in history like Shakespeare and Isaac Newton, like kind of made their biggest discoveries during sure. during quarantines, during like uh, historical plagues. Yeah. You know, I think. But that feeling of like, you know, now I kind of have an excuse not to do anything, which after maybe it's just because I'm like very just recently finished moving that I'm looking yeah. forward to having it ex- because I have been doing quite a bit. I'm looking forward to having an excuse not to do anything. Yeah. That's that's sort of new, um, I would say.
0: What about your, I mean, what about yourself, Rich? Um, something I'm surprised about that I do? Yeah. A feeling, yeah. Um. The biggest thing that surprised me is how much my sleep schedule is off. I've been getting terrible sleep, terrible sleep. And I think it's because I haven't gone outside in like this week. So I noticed I've been getting such poor sleep. I've been kind of in my apartment for the last three weeks and and I've been getting really poor sleep so I thought I should go outside more. And I've been not going outside because I don't want to get sick. So then I don't want to get sick and I, I spread it or I can't work. But it was I think it was affecting my sleep schedule too much. So so I've been trying to like do more of that. So that surprised me. Yeah. I don't read as much as I used to, which is strange.
1: No, same. That's yeah. I had the same exact
0: thing. So but um I think I think the last few weeks has just been like adjusting to this period of time and now i feel like people now have found their routines within it and so now now my routine will, will pick up reading a little bit more um and i i read a book in like three days uh fahrenheit four or five oh, night nice. recently so uh, okay. i have a stack of books yeah. i just cued i just got a cue a i was uh i was asking my friend sammy right before like everything shut down i'm like should i go to the library and pick up some books? He's like, Bro, everybody's touching those books and like, don't no, don't do that. And I'm like, ah. Uh. <laughs> and I, I figured my I switched my thinking of I don't think you can really be a man if you haven't read the books in your own library. You know? So I've I've got okay. a lot of I've gotten a lot of books from uh, estate sales recently. So I have stacks okay. of books around my apartment. And the reason I have those books is because, like, they interested me. So why not read them before I go searching for more books to read, you know? Yeah.
1: No, I think that's fair. Um, okay. I've been having the same thing, though. That's surprising to me. Like, I, like I'm generally a reader, um, and I've been reading a lot less the last few weeks. I think it's because, like, I kind of mentioned it in my normal routine. Like, my reading time was typically reserved for, like, the commute. Um, which is why I actually enjoy a long commute. Um, so like that previous routine is kind of throwing off my whole, my whole deal and ability to read a lot because like I deliberately put all like dedicated that those two specific times that I know are going to happen every single day for the purposes of ensuring I read a lot that are now, it's now gone. So I've got to figure out a new, a new routine that part I haven't figured out yet.
0: Yeah. What music have you been listening to most since, Honestly, since this I is all going on?
1: Yeah, I haven't been listening to a lot of, of music. Um, I mean, so when I when I turned on music specifically, I've turned on Kendrick. I go to my kind of my staples, okay. um, which, you know, Kendrick Lamar, you know, basically his whole discography from Good Kid, Mad City, to, to like that's, that's Butterfly, that's to thing, Dan. Yeah. yeah, Section 80. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I mean, if anything, I've gone, I've, I've turned on, you know, I've gone through kind of Kanye's uh, trilogy um, as well, his, his first three albums specifically. Um, but then also, you know, I think Jesus for some reason, seems to fit the moment. There's a darkness to Jesus oh, yeah. that I think uh, <laughs> is very um, kind of fitting for the moment. So, yeah, the, the little I have listened to music, um it's been primarily podcasts honestly uh or howard stern is is what i've primarily been listening to but uh, the music i have listened to has been more of the staples i would say yeah i don't know it's probably because and it's probably because that that there's a semblance of uh comfort you know something maybe subconsciously like i'm not really too anxious right now um but maybe subconsciously i'm like being drawn to like kind of those the music I know I'm just gonna gonna really appreciate.
0: I'm curious if other people are experiencing that same thing where they're retreating back to music that they know in their life at a certain point of their life or they're exploring these years of their life and reflecting on that music. So I've been listening to um so I have a vinyl Vinyl record collection, and I have a Spotify playlist. I have a, a Senate playlist where I pick two songs from each album and it goes on to this playlist. Mm-hmm. And then I have a House of Reps playlist, which is basically however many songs I like per record, I put it in there. So I've been listening to that one, the House of Reps playlist, quite a bit with my vinyl collection. And I realized that, like, every single, I, you know, I've been living in Chicago for every 10 years, that every single record is like it reminds me of my experience in Chicago and yeah. there's a story behind each vinyl record that I own and I've listened to all these records these records are consistent throughout my Chicago experience the last six years so it's interesting to listen to these songs while I'm cooped up inside and it makes me think of all my Chicago experiences
1: you know? yeah is it sort of putting you in those experiences like through the music
0: yeah it makes me it helps me reflect and just be like grateful for those moments in life and like being an older wiser individual now I can think back of like oh yeah I remember when I used to listen to the song and this is what I was going through at that time and wow that's so interesting that I was doing that and thinking that and you know yeah yeah no,
1: I, while we've been talking about this one, uh, I think it'd be, it's a different genre for sure, but Whitney, the Chicago band. Oh, yeah. Um, they'd be very, it seems like I just, for some reason, I got an urge to listen to some of their, uh, their music seems like it'd really fit the moment. It's kind of like melancholy. Yeah. Um, Kind of low, low key. It'd be nice to listen to. or right, about now.
0: Yeah, my friend Carlita, she's the violinist in the band.
1: Oh, is she really? Yeah. Wow. <laughs> yeah
0: yeah wow. when they play in Chicago she, cool. she she does the the strings and stuff um, wow what are you most excited to experience again in the city
1: oh I mean that that's easy I think it's um, being on the beach and on the lakefront yeah. um, I think I'm sure that's going to be a pretty common answer for a lot of Chicagoans also uh, you know I think the neighborhood I just moved to um, is a little bit closer to Wrigley and you know I'm not a a Cub fan at all. Uh, I'm looking forward to when baseball's back though. And you know, I'm get that annoyed feeling walking up and down Clark Street of all the Cub fans. <laughs> um but just that like I'm kind of nostalgic for it right now. Um i am looking way. forward to when I hope it's I hope it's coming back. I hope I've heard rumors they're gonna play baseball in empty stadiums in like Arizona and Florida. Okay. Uh which would be a pretty big letdown, but at least we'd have some kind of, you know, baseball to watch. But yeah. um I'm looking forward to just those iconic Chicago moments of being on the lakefront. I'm really hoping we get to, to experience Chicago summer. I hope that's the light at the end of this tunnel, but obviously, I mean, we got to do, you know, we got to do what, what makes the most sense from an epidemiolo- epidemiology standpoint, um, where if, if you don't want anything to come back, if we, we try doing it yeah. too soon.
0: I was just thinking about that before our call, how, Around this time, you and I would probably be going to a Brewers Cubs game at Wrigley. Yep. Yeah,
1: yeah. During the day yeah. and
0: uh, just being at Wrigley—it's a great stadium to be at in the springtime when the sun's out and yeah. drinking a, a Goose Island beer or something, you know. Yep. yep.
1: Yeah. Notoriously, I mean, d- under dressing, like looking out the window <laughs> and seeing how nice it looks, um, and then getting there and. Feeling the wind hit you, uh, when yeah. you're in the stadium. That's I feel like I do that every April at Wrigley. It's kind of a yeah. <laughs> um, no, those are the things I'm looking forward to and hopeful that I get to. We still get to do.
0: What's one restaurant you'd love to go to right now and yeah. just just eat at dine in? I'm
1: trying to think of one that has a rooftop. Those are all mostly bars, though. I mean, really, just any any rooftop bar in the city would be, you know, it's kind of what I've been craving the last week or two. Um, you know, the ability to just be outside. Yeah. I wish I could think of, of a specific P is definitely more of a winter experience, but I mean, just that, yeah. that Chicago feeling of being indoors. Yeah. I would give, um, it's a very quintessential feeling. Um, crisp, you know, I think is a good example of just like how overcrowded that place <laughs> always <laughs> is when you, when you try eating there um, yeah. with the stools or the benches that they have for people, that's like true communal dining. I mean, I think that kind of uh, encapsulates the type of thing where you really like, it's the exact opposite of what we're supposed to be doing. You can still obviously order out from there, but you know, there's nothing that kind of matches the experience of having them deliver those, you know, the, the wings fresh out of the, the oven. Yeah. And that communal communal experience. There's just there's a certain vibe at, at Crisp. Yeah. Um, that you get that, that just is completely unique to compared to any other Chicago restaurant.
0: So we're gonna switch it up a little bit. We're gonna do a little bit more reflecting on life. So I want yeah, you to describe okay. sure. I'd like you to describe the best day of your life.
1: So I mean I would have to say Probably April twentieth, twenty twelve, uh, which was the first Demonthon.
0: Okay. Um,
1: and you know, I think it was kind of a whirlwind. It's it's interesting you just you asked for the best day because Demonthon is a twenty four hour dance marathon where um you know students DePaul students fundraise. Two hundred fifty dollars to attend this event, where you cannot sit for twenty-four hours straight, Uh, and all the money and proceeds went to Lurie Children's Hospital. For me, you know, being a part of the group that helped start it, um, it was a very popular concept across uh, colleges across the country, Um, and so having bringing it to the Paul and kind of like having this model that we were expected to follow, like there was a lot of expectations. That we had placed on ourselves, granted, and um, but also just like, generally, it was this new thing that this new concept that no one was really familiar with, or like, I mean, you you hear you hear described where it's you're literally asking people to give you at least two hundred and fifty dollars from a fundraising standpoint, so you can go stand for twenty four hours. It just sounds crazy, yeah. But for me, you know, I think like being a part of the group that put it on, we were literally there. It was a Friday 5 p.m. to Saturday 5 p.m. event. We were there probably that Friday by about 11 a.m. or 10 a.m. to help set everything up. So it was, you know, it was not just 24 hours. closer to like 34 hours. But just the anticipation um, from when you're getting there and you're seeing this empty gym at McGrath Mm -hmm. Arena and everyone, all these people that you've got, you know, you've had both good and bad times with from just like, you know, that are natural to any large organization in terms of, you know, like, like you know, in, in situations of high stress, you know, people are going to be on edge a little bit more uh, than they normally would. So you, you have your natural kind of conflicts that are going to happen when you put together an event like that. And to see it all culminate, you know, across those 30 hours from like setting the event up to, you know, not knowing whether or not the dancers were going to show up. Um, the dancers are the students that raised the two hundred and fifty dollars. Whether they would actually show up for what they raised money for, yeah. To seeing them come through and, and to kind of like to basically then have to go through the event and, and basically run and put on this twenty four hours of activities, so that people are distracted from how much pain they're in for standing twenty four hours. Yeah. To you know getting to to meet and listen to the stories of the different families. You know we had a family come that was getting treated or had been treated at Lurie children's or what used to be children's memorial hospital come through every hour tell their sh- story and share their story um a lot of which were very you know very emotional but also very inspiring to to seeing the kids you know they, a lot of them are younger kids still that are getting treatments getting to interact with college kids um which, which is, to like, them is cool like the coolest thing, thing ever yeah. oh yeah those little kids it's got to be amazing uh and for the college kids, it was a great distraction from what they were doing um, in terms of the pain they may be in. All the way up to the, you know, the final the final hour, the final hour and a half, where it's just basically one giant dance party. Yeah. Everyone's yeah. delirious. And knowing that this, up to this point knows how much money was raised to finding out, you know, we raised over $100,000 in the first event, which yeah. which broke the record nationally for a first year dance marathon it's since been broken, um, you know, which is a great thing for Children's Miracle right. Network, the nonprofit it raises money for. I mean, that day, that day just beginning to end, it was such a whirlwind uh, of emotions um, and to see it kind of, you know, it still exists today, uh, but nothing's going to kind of replace that first, that first, that, that day, the feeling that you kind of got, you know, going through all of that. And it, it really kind of brought together a sense of community, both within DePaul and then also with Chicago as well.
0: Yeah. Wow. That's cool.
1: Yeah. I mean, I think think that's got to be, it's definitely probably up to this point the best day. I don't have any kids. I haven't gotten married, so.
0: (laughs) (laughs) What's your favorite travel experience?
1: Um, So, you were actually on this travel experience. Uh, Yeah. Um, Going to Southeast Asia uh, was very cool. Just because, you know, I've been a lot of cool places. Well, I mean, yeah, so I've traveled to other places, too, that are just as exciting and were just as fun. But I think the unique part of going to Southeast Asia on the trip we went on was it was definitely the most different, there was definitely a dichotomy between, like, what it feels like to be in Chicago versus what it feels like to be in Hanoi, Vietnam. You know, it's kind of just, it's otherworldly from, you know, walking down the streets and having to kind of muster the courage to cross the street because there's no stop signs. Yeah. Okay. Um, you know, <laughs> you <laughs> so just well,
0: just by.
1: yeah, yeah. you have to trust the people are going to stop when you cross, um, which is like, it's honestly kind of traumatic initially, yeah. but it was also very just completely different experience than anything I've ever done, um, Vietnam, especially. I know we also went to Hong Kong. We also went to Thailand. Um, but yeah, Hanoi was just a completely different experience It still felt like, I mean, in some ways, you know, like. It seems like they were, you know, it's definitely seemed underdeveloped, but at the same time, the people there seemed so, they were so kind and respectful and, and so nice. Like everyone just was seemed, there seemed to be a feeling of cheerfulness um, that coming from the West and especially like a developed country, you wouldn't necessarily expect if you saw pictures, you'd, almost, you'd feel bad, but the people seemed very happy and very kind of at peace with with who like you know both with visitors outsiders coming in especially with outsiders coming in and you know all the history that has happened between Vietnam and the U.S. you would expect there to be some
0: kind of edge there but there definitely wasn't anything
1: of the sort and in fact the complete opposite.
0: I don't know how you feel but I feel like Hanoi was the place possibly the most memorable but the most unique sense I ever smelled. And every yeah. now and then, yeah. I'll, like, catch a whiff of something somewhere randomly, and I'll be like, it just brings me right back to Hanoi.
1: Yep.
0: Yeah, like, it's so unique. I mean, I think that's... So unique, yeah.
1: Yeah. Walking off the plane. I think we, like, walked off... I think we had to do a connecting flight or something, because we had to actually walk outside off the plane, right?
0: Yeah, like the Beatles. Like where, I remember. we yeah. like, you have <laughs> a... Uh, I've never had it where you have a plane, and then... Granted, I haven't, like, flown a lot, but, like, to a place where you... You don't pull up to the, like, terminal. There's just, like, a a stairs that they wheel out, and then you just walk down it. And that was different because it was, like, kind of rainy. And then uh, we would take, like, a taxi to our place, and you're on the highway, and everybody's just going in and out. People are on, like, motorbikes with their kids just, like, on the back, and they're just, like, cruising, Mm -hmm. and it's pretty wild.
1: Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, no, it was insane. I mean, you're hit, like, yeah, you're hit, like... The humidity too it's i think definitely added the smell um you know you kind of like you're getting off in the jungle in a way i mean not really it's obviously developed and whatnot but you can tell you're not that far from true jungle mm-hmm. jungle experience
0: what was another favorite thing on that trip
1: i mean i think phuket oh i mean <laughs> yeah no I, so phuket was amazing and we weren't there long enough for my own preference, because it was basically just a beach, an island full of beaches, and um, you know, huts—the hut that we stayed in—and uh, you know, walking. I can remember, you know, obviously during the day it was great being on the beach because you're literally just hanging out there, wave jumping in the ocean. That was an amazing
0: experience. I was thinking about our trip the other day, so I had been bunker down in uh, my apartment. I hadn't gone outside in two weeks. And so the first time I went outside for a walk, it was almost like it was a new city to me. All the buildings were very distinctive. All the architecture, it was almost like it was screaming mm-hmm. in my face. And it's almost like I looked at it like being in the city for the first time. Like I'm walking around my neighborhood and, and just like the architecture is so unique. And it made me think of like, wow, this is like a, an impression A fresh impression of what chicago is you know and we we went on our trip to like all those different cities hong kong hanoi uh ho chi minh city bangkok and phuket and we just get a quick impression of each place and here it's almost like a fresh impression of chicago and i walk under the l and i'm thinking like oh my goodness like this is so large this is such like a industrial feat to have yeah i'm at the irving park brown line stop and just like looking up in these steel beams and the colors the like manila and the brown and um everything was very striking to me and refreshing and it's it's almost like being excited to be living here all over again you know
1: yeah no that's gonna be interesting like i'm excited now that i'm like staying in And actually I've been kind of isolated for a few days. It's going to be, I'm excited for that feeling. It's going to be like a completely fresh new perspective of the city.
0: Yeah. Which is going to be cool. What's your most memorable scent in your life?
1: I feel like you kind of, uh, I was having a hard time. <laughs> I, I think honestly, you kind of, we, we touched upon it about five minutes ago with, I think anytime, so definitely going to, vietnam there was a very unique scent that was distinctive from everything i've smelled before but i think anytime you go to like anytime you if you have the ability to travel anytime you go somewhere new there's a new smell um the smell is the first thing you associate with that place yeah but i think i mean i think we kind of this one i was having a hard time thinking of like what what could it be and i think if it probably is that First feeling walking off the plane in Vietnam.
0: Yeah, I would say uh, like, walking down small. the streets and you have you have this combination, this like locked in scent of all the fresh street food, food and the fruit and the smog from the motorbikes and then the humidity and the yep. jungle and it's just like all together. It's like, I've never smelled this before.
1: Yeah, and then for like a month or two months, after i was smelling it everywhere like in all the clothes i brought (laughs) (laughs) then you definitely notice it um yeah no i think that's probably that would be it do
0: you have a memorable sound in your life
1: so i think growing up playing baseball um i think it's very easy to associate probably any sport honestly but like for me it was baseball um there's very unique sounds whether it's the hitting of the ball during like taking ground balls before the game, playing catch to the music. Like when I played baseball, I think they had the same CD playing over and over and over again. <laughs> and now, anytime I hear a lot of it's the Beatles too, she loves me. Yeah. Like it was like the same. Anytime I hear a song now, I'm immediately brought back to, to being in the, in the field, yeah. like warming up before the inning started. Yeah. I think like sounds, especially with the game of baseball, I think it's probably partly because it does move kind of slow. Mm -hmm. Um, you have more time to sort of be mindful of all the things that are going on around you, um, from a sensory standpoint. And, uh, I mean, that's another smell too, honestly, um, you know, being on the field and like the smell of like fresh cut grass, uh, but definitely just growing up playing baseball. Um, I think that's what I would probably associate. Um, a lot of unique sounds I don't hear anywhere else yeah um it's kind of nostalgic too i think that brings me back to that
0: what's the most influential book you've ever read so there's a
1: lot of like kind of candidates here um there's a really good novel called um how to Get rich in asia i'm not even getting the title right but it's like it's a novel that was just a really well-written story and like that i don't know why it's just it's my favorite piece of fiction that I've read uh, over the last few years. That was One Candidate. There's a book that's nonfiction, um, Principles by Ray Dalio, which I just really appreciate the uh, the process that Ray Dalio started. He's a hedge fund guy who started Bridgewater Associates, which is the largest hedge fund in the world. Just the constant self-reflection that he was doing. Okay. Um throughout life to where he basically kind of all culminated in this book now that he's really, probably in the 70s um and it's a very you know the, the, the book is very nicely put together and, it, and it's kind of sectioned out in a way that you could tell there was a lot of thought and you could tell it is something that's truly an evolution across decades mm-hmm. um that would have been another candidate but i honestly think the one i settled on and that's influential in the in the and the fact that it had actually changed or definitely had an influence on my trajectory was reading Moneyball in seventh grade, which Moneyball is a, is a book by uh, Michael Lewis, who's a prolific author. Um, but it was focused on um, baseball, the Oakland A's um, and this new strategy that they were using uh, called using Sabermetrics is what it was called, but basically using like data and statistics as opposed to like the traditional way of finding talent via scouting and using yeah. your human eyes. So Moneyball, like the reason it was called Moneyball is because the A's were were kind of a smaller market than your typical Major League Baseball franchise, and so they had to get creative in, in ways to, to win. And so they basically um, hired a bunch of people that are into statistics to like find like basically hidden anomalies in statistics. Yeah. Uh, to find you know cheap talent that's still going to achieve the same result that you might not see with your, you know, your two eyes or a scout that's been doing it for 30 years might not see in front of them. And, you know, at the time I wanted to be, my dream was to be a a general manager of a baseball team, which is why I read it. But looking back on it now, you can kind of connect the dots from where I'm at now, which is healthcare analytics and kind of draw back to like how I ended up, you know, being interested in healthcare was because I studied economics in college and was Mm -hmm. really interested in policy and doing something that, you know, where you could, you try to do good for the greater population to -hmm. which, you know, I was interested in economics probably because, you know, initially it was law, but economics was kind of a, there was less of a barrier from a financial standpoint to get, to get there to like, yeah, to drawing it back to like here, this book I read when I was in seventh grade was all about data and statistics and using, you know, data to, you know, find insights to help kind of like decision-making, which is, you know, something that now is something I do every day. And it's just interesting to kind of look back on it and like, yeah, you went to, I didn't, I didn't know it at the time, but, um, it's what I think kind of triggered me onto this path of ending up where I did, which I don't know how you draw being wanting to be a baseball GM to being in healthcare analytics, but somehow (laughs) it happened all because of, I would would kind of point to this book as the first place where really kind of the seed was planted.
0: Wow. What about, is there a movie or a film that's done that for you or? So, so it's not a movie. I'm not as big of a
1: movie person as I am a television person, but
0: um, around the same time,
1: maybe a year later, uh, I watched the last season of the West Wing, which was airing at the time. Um, and kind of following it in light of the 2004 presidential election. Um, and it's okay. really what I think drew me drew an interest into politics. Um, and I ultimately ended up going back and rewatching the entire like eight seasons worth of West Wing. Um, and it's definitely like it's definitely what kind of spawned my interest in policy and politics. It, you know, I was always sort of naturally interested in history, but. Yeah. Nothing in a way that like was tied to current events, um, okay, in the way that you know I think West Wing has probably been very influential just in terms of what my current interests are and like the types of things I'm interested in following,
0: yeah, what's something about you that few people know or understand?
1: Mm-hmm. yeah, this one is tough, yeah, I don't know this one is uh. <laughs> I don't think, I mean, all my closest friends know, but, like, I don't know if I'll, I wouldn't, it's not something I really advertise a lot, um, but just my kind of, you know, obsessive interest in, like, won't miss a show, Howard Stern, um, of Howard Stern. Uh, I think he's kind of got this association of, like, just the average person is aware of his kind of, like, um, shock Jack mentality and like how kind of obnoxious and appropriate and inappropriate as he was during uh, the 80s and 90s. Um, okay. And, you know, his fights with the FCC and just doing like really outlandish stuff. I don't think a lot of, I think a lot of people that think they know me really well would be surprised to hear I, uh, I listen to him um, with such a dedication that I do. Um, but that's, it's, I don't know. It doesn't feel like it really, one, like a lot of the people that are closest to me that I see on a week to week basis, most of them know this, but two, like, I don't know, it seems like so kind of inconse- inconsequential, like a show I listen to, but at the same time, like, it's kind of That's like in today's culture, I think a lot of people like would be like, there's, it's easy to be offended, you know, kind of like the, um, by, by certain things that people say where, or listen to, like, where there's a, a judgment place on like the type of content that you're choosing yeah to associate yourself with um I think there is kind of something to it uh which is why you know I think what that's what I would think I would say you know he's kind of somebody that's all about you know like he's I think he's definitely misunderstood but he, I think he sort of was open to that and was a, deliberately tried to be misunderstood for a long time now he's definitely yeah. more self reflective and has gone on more of a um, trying to I think go mainstream is a lot of what is like diehard like fans that have been with him for decades would say but there's just a level of self-awareness there um, that you don't hear really in any other kind of personality that's out there as much as he is Yeah. Um, that I really appreciate and that I now try to attribute to my life as well um, he's very much into psychoanalysis which I find interesting you know I think he he's just his perspective is very fresh and that's something that's very unique Um, so yeah, I think that's what I would probably go with.
0: What's been a difficult moment in your life and how did you overcome it?
1: So I think probably when I found out I had melanoma, um, just over five years ago now, um, which, you know, I was lucky enough that it wasn't a huge, it, you know, they were able, it was able to get surgically removed. It didn't spread in any way. I didn't have to do chemo or radiation or any of that. Um, so I was fortunate in that sense, but it was definitely eye-opening for the month or two months from the moment I found out. I actually found out on my birthday, uh, oh, like, yeah. I got the call from the doctor, which was, like, a month after I had had the biopsy done. Yeah. Um, and so, like, so that's definitely one of the more interesting birthday experiences I've had. I think <laughs> it was probably my 20th, 23rd birthday, I think. I can't remember if it was twenty-four. No, it was 2015, so it would have been twenty twenty-fourth 24th birthday. So, yeah, I mean, those two months from when I found out to when I had surgery done to the recovery were definitely all kind of eye-opening and sort of makes you think, like, oh, like, it forces you to reflect on everything you've been doing and, like, what you want to, like, what you, it, it forces you to kind of think about, like, what you wish you could be doing when you're physically, you know, incapacitated for a certain period of time. And it's actually ultimately what led me to really get interested like I actually had signed up for a race I wasn't really ever a runner even through through college like in high school uh, most of the sports I I did was uh, like baseball basketball and football um, I didn't really start running until after college and it was basically just something to do or like you know something else to kind of put my mind toward outside of work mm-hmm. uh, and i had signed up for my first race around the same time and so I still did that first race but kind of It was sort of a confluence of events in the sense that, like, it it made me realize that, like, running is something that, you know, now, if I was ever to, like, you know, lose physical capabilities, it's probably the thing I would miss the most. And so it kind of led to, uh, it made running into more of a hobby and, uh, and a thing I did more than I think it would have been if it hadn't happened around the same time. Yeah, I think, yeah, I would say, like, I think those, like, I mean, those types of moments you... Um, they you know it's it's kind of like just this like more macro environment we're, we're currently in but like definitely on a micro level those types of moments that force someone to kind of really take a look at their life and decide what's most important to them um, and yeah. what they want to spend their time doing
0: I feel like I thought about that when uh, you mentioned it makes you think about what you would do with your life if you're physical if you're physically limited and in a sense we're all pretty physically limited right now and that we're supposed to stay at home and we can't you know go out and do the things we used to and it's kind of forcing us to reflect more on our lives and uh, ask questions about ourselves Mm -hmm. yeah after this pandemic situation passes we don't know how long that's going to be we hope for a short time but what's a positive result you imagine could emerge
1: So I'm going to give a macro and a micro answer to that. Um, On a macro level, I hope it forces governments and institutions to take seriously the threat that the likelihood of a pandemic kind of presents to humanity. Mm -hmm. Um, I hope it kind of uh, spurs more global collaboration uh, among countries that otherwise maybe wouldn't be as... Closely aligned, aligned from a from a um, from a value standpoint. Um, I hope that you know it kind of spurs investment into necessary resources and equipment that is necessary to fight a pandemic. Um, right. I think you know. I think all those things. It's interesting when you look at South Korea, Taiwan, China to a lesser extent, but still, I mean like these countries where they've kind of gotten through the first phase, it seems like, and they're mm-hmm. sort of going back to normal life. Um, all of them went through the first SARS pandemic or epidemic back in the early 2000s. And it's interesting that like, it seems like the, all those countries that were impacted by that first SARS were more prepared. They kind of, yeah, they're more prepared this time around. And it's why I think they've kind of gotten through it quicker um, than the other countries that haven't had this experience and so, you know, I hope that, like, a, from a national standpoint, for the U.S. specifically, um, I hope we're more prepared and there's, like, you know, there's more seriousness, seriousness put into, you know, what we can do to prevent situations like this from occurring because it's going to happen again. Mm-hmm. Um, I think everyone generally, it seems like pandemics and just, like, viruses from a ba- at the bacterial level are more likely in today's world. And I think, mm-hmm. you know, I, I read an article a couple weeks ago from Bill Gates, or it was an interview. It was an article in Vox uh, with Bill Gates in 2015, and they asked him, you know, you're doing all this work in development. What's the thing that scares you the most for humanity? Mm-hmm. Um, and, and he said, would be a. It, he said it was. A, it's a flu-like pandemic is what scares him the most. Um, and it was like very eerie reading back on it because he basically talked about the Spanish flu specifically, which a lot of people, everyone's comparing this to now. Mm-hmm. Um, but he talked about how you know he ran the spanish flu through models like through current today's models like what would happen if it happened in today's world and given the the mobility that people have nowadays that didn't yeah. exist back then it would just be almost impossible to contain in the number of millions of people he he said that his models projected would die as a result is was very scary i mean he said in the 30s of millions Okay. Which is sounds insane. Um, I think that also is kind of assuming that no no intervention was done. So I don't I don't doesn't seem like we're going to hit that point here. But um, I think the point is you know there's a there's definitely it can be investment put in the infrastructure to kind of make dealing with these types of yeah. things easier down the road. Yeah. Um, so that's a macro level, and a hope for me. Uh, micro level, I think you know I hope it forces people to kind of not take for granted just you know the ability to walk outside the simple things in life. And mm-hmm. this seems kind of cliche, but at the same time it's true. Like I think it's there's what certain we're things. Now you right now, yeah. Miss. yeah. Yeah. There's a certain simplicity that you miss um, in our current uh, situation that you know you it's hard to appreciate it in the moment when it's happening every day and it kind of gets um, just kind of ground into the daily experience that it'd be nice to come out of this is a human race, a little bit more mindful of what of the things that we usually would take for granted from being able to give you, you know, a family member, a hug to getting to go and, and see friends whenever you feel like seeing them to, um, you know, taking a subway ride. Uh, you know, I that's a very urban centric point of view, but I think those smaller things that we can kind of do in our everyday life that seem sort of run of the mill in a normal situation, Hopefully, people are a little bit more mindful going forward.
0: Yeah, I totally agree. Well, those are the questions I have. Thanks for being a good sport.
1: Yeah. Thanks, Rich. Uh, This is
0: fun. Appreciate you coming on. Yeah, I appreciate you having me on. Thanks for listening to Rich Conversations. Be safe and wash your hands.